You're listening to Highly Unlikely. I'm Jonathan Flannis. Well, here it is. Back by popular demand, we have the final chapter of the Jared Clickstein saga. In case you haven't heard episodes one and two, go back and listen to those. But for those of you who have heard about the suitcase in prison, it's an amazing, amazing conclusion to the saga. So enjoy. But the the blood is very alarming. I mean, this blood, I hope it came from me. You know, uh, that's best case scenario. And our special report, Addicted. Prescription overdoses are one of the top causes of death. But how do opioids poison the body and what makes them so deadly to us? At the Poison Center, more and more opioid overdose calls are coming in. Opioids can be kind of insidious in the way that they poison you. Something the toxicologists also wanted people to be aware of, they've gotten more and more calls of children accidentally overdosing on opioids after getting into their parents' medicine cabinets just because of how many prescriptions are out there. If you suspect a loved one is overdosing, they won't wake up, they have shallow breathing, call 911 immediately. In studio, Kathleen Jacobs. And what opiate overdose felt like for me was it's like you're in and out of nodding, but you're nodding so hard that it's almost like a coma or a blackout. So it's like you're literally fading off into this kind of like dreamy space where you're not existing and it's a total place of relaxation and calmness. And then you have brief moments of clarity where you see, you actually wake up. But what's so dangerous about opiate overdose is you can know you're overdosing. And before I took the drug, I do, I did care if I lived or died. I didn't want to die. But I knew I was dying from this drug. But the drug makes everything so unimportant that it's like you just, you don't have the capacity to care that you're dying. Today we pick up where Jared left off. Having survived the suitcase jail and now back on the streets i got out of jail in march of 2016 so i did you know after like six months in jail i was released my case was dropped and uh, i spent six months you know staying sober and um you know exercising and eating right and and they bring aa meetings into the jail so i was going to my little uh, AA meetings in jail and I was reading my AA book and uh, they released you at like midnight or something like that and by 3 a.m. I was smoking crack. So uh, it just shows you how funny it is. Like you spend six months like, man, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. And, um, and just like clockwork, there's a crack pipe in your mouth. And you don't even, I didn't even have any money. That's what's crazy. I didn't even have any money, but when they released me, I was in a release pod with everyone else that was getting released from the jail. And I just happened to know a guy who happened to have $40 when he got released. And next thing you know, I'm, you know, right back to it. And um, when I was released, I had gained so much weight that I couldn't fit into the clothes that I was arrested in. So they had to give me a paper suit. So I was like a white guy on Skid Row at three o'clock in the morning, smoking crack in a paper suit. Nah. <laughs> and then, um, in the morning, I um, once the stores opened up, 
I actually had my food stamp card, so I sold all my food stamps, got like 300 bucks, and um, was so oddly fat and shaped. You know, my body wasn't used to being this fat, so I had to actually buy like sweatshants. They're kind of like, uh, you know, they're like shorts slash pants made out of sweatpant material, and I was just, you know, wearing fat guy stuff. And had $300, and of course, you know, none of that went to um, rebuilding my life. You know, fresh out of jail, it went to crack cocaine and heroin. And, um, you know, I called my dad and he was like, Jared, I'm glad you're out of jail. I can't really help you, but what I can do is buy you a Greyhound ticket to come to Florida and you can come here and try to get your life together and move into sober living. So, of course, I did that. And, um, but prior to doing that, I bought a little, you know, party pack for the, for the ride. And, um, and, you know, I'm taking this night Greyhound. And, um, and if you haven't noticed, already when i get high i like to you know i usually end up bleeding somehow so you know I'm, I'm sitting on this um this bus and there's this kid sitting across from me and we're talking the whole night and he has like university of tennessee gear on like a sweatshirt and a hat and he's just talking about college and you know he's going back to college after spring break and uh he's a freshman and i'm like you know i'm like 26 at the time and i did do a few years at college so jared had some advice i'm like telling him that you got to you know hey man you just got to value these magical years but don't you know don't party too much you got to take it serious you got to focus on your major you got to focus on your extracurriculars you gotta it's not all about school you gotta also try to get into an apprenticeship you know you got to make connections you know you gotta you know you gotta you know just remember you know it's not the people that can party it's the people that are going to help you later in life and then you know we make our first stop and the lights turn on and i'm just covered in blood <laughs> so i'm like this and, and immediately he just moves seats and he's like i can't you know i can't believe i talked to that guy i took advice from that guy for two hours in the dark i wake up he's picking himself he's picking his legs and there's, there's a puddle of blood under his seat but the picking had consequences that leads to, you know, my ankle getting really swollen from just picking the hell out of it. And not to mention, I was in jail for six months and then I got out and smoked a bunch of crack and walked like 20 miles. So, you know, you can't just walk 20 miles after not walking for six months. It's not going to be good on your legs. Um, so I was all fucked up. And I arrived to Florida with extremely swollen ankles and, uh, you know, in my sweatshants covered in blood. And, uh... You know, my dad wasn't too happy because, you know, he wasn't he wasn't convinced that I had gotten out of jail and stayed a good boy and then come to Florida. It was pretty clear. You know, when you're covered in blood, it's pretty obvious that you weren't, you know, sitting on the Greyhound reading the Bible and being a good boy. So he gets to Florida and for a bit, things are looking up. So I, I run around Florida. I do I do the sober thing. I live in the sober living. I get a job doing HVAC. I'm doing like air con installing air conditioning units and, you know, running pipe and all that. And, and um you know, eventually I relapse and, um, and, and fresh off the relapse, it's like, I find a, I find a hooker, um, not because I want to, you know, partake in her services, but I know that hookers often know where drugs are. I find a hooker to, to get drugs and, and we get some and she has one needle and I'm dead sober and I make the decision to share a needle with, with a prostitute, um, because that was the only needle available. So it just shows you the insanity of what we'll do sober it's not like once i put the drugs in me i get crazy it's like this is just hardcore proof this needle thing it's like i'm literally crazy even before i put the drugs into my body and jared shares how crazy drugs make you you can be an inactive drug user that still has uh complete insanity wrapped around their their uh psyche i mean just completely 
because that's a suicide move right there. And uh, fortunately, you know, nothing came about from it, but um, I probably gave her something, honestly. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and needless to say, Florida is not working out. But at that moment, Jared gets an important call. I get a phone call from an old friend that's been sober for maybe four or five years, and she's a very close friend from college, and she invites me to move out to Los Angeles because I keep telling her how much I hate Florida and how it's not conducive to, you know, my recovery, which is bullshit, but it's just, you know, I want to get the hell out of there because I hate it because it's, you know, it's really hot and it sucks. She was sober. I knew some sober people out there, so I figured, okay, this will be a healthy place for me to go. And I did it. I saved up some money and I bought a plane ticket and I moved to Los Angeles and everything was was just great for like two days. And then on that second, third day, something like that, I'm sitting at night and I start messaging some old friends, uh, just, you know, seeing what they're up to. Yeah, this is another example of just the absolute insanity of like, I'm dead sober for months. I got a great opportunity at my hands. I'm living in Los Angeles. I'm living with good people. And I, for something, for some reason, somewhere in my head, it's like, I'm going to get on Facebook Messenger and start messaging people that I used to literally sleep outside with, you know, just to see what they're up to. And of course, you know, one responded and he's like, hey, man, I'm actually doing a lot better. I have an apartment in Chinatown and I started, um, it's not great working for the cartel. And I'm like driving drugs around. I'm driving drugs from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. And you know, from um, Los Angeles up to Oregon, and I'm making a ton of money. And um, I want you to join me. Like, let's do this. Like, like we, met, we, I used to sleep on the ground next to this guy for, you know, we were on Skid Row for like a year together, going in and out of jail and all that. And um, and now, you know, he's like, he's like, I got a car, I got a little Honda Civic, and I got a little apartment with my with my wife. He has a wife too. I mean, this guy ate out of trash cans with me two years ago, and now he's got a wife. So Jared signs up. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, get on the bus. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody. It's like 11 o'clock. I'm going to sneak out of my own apartment, get on the bus, uh, go down to Chinatown and just, you know, say hi to an old friend. You know, that doesn't mean I'm going to get high or anything. It's just, you know, I just want to see what this guy's doing. So I do it. You know, I get on the bus and I go, go see my old friend and um, he's on drugs and he's with his wife who's, um, you know, Nothing I would really show off. I mean, she's just a, a meth head is, is what she what she is. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I kind of was picturing a different scene where this guy had kind of gotten his life back together. And although he was working for the cartel, I figured he kind of implied I'm not shooting heroin anymore. Um, which was true to some sense. He was he had begun smoking it. But um, but once I showed up. Uh, we went out and got a, got some needles, and um, and it was just it was like a party. We did some heroin, we did some meth. I hadn't touched meth for a long time. You know that that was a drug that I had kind of given up a few years prior, due to the fact that it got me into sticky situations, and I usually ended up in jail when I would touch it. So um, I figured for old times' sake that we'd do some meth, and um, and everything was great, you know. And he was like. He had a tattoo gun and, and uh, we were talking about, oh, we should do some tattoo stuff. And I was like, well, let me just do one more shot of heroin. So I, I do another shot of heroin and and that's when I just forget everything. I, I don't remember anything. And, you know, it's probably 2 a.m. at this point. So I'd left my house at like 11. Now it's like 2 uh, and my mind shuts off. You know, I don't know what happens for like six hours. 
um, until I wake up at about, you know, with the sun coming up. So it was probably about 7 a.m. And um, I'm just laying in a bathtub somewhere and there's someone knocking on the door and screaming, but they're not screaming in English. They're screaming in, in uh, what I think is Chinese, but it's definitely an Asian dialect. And um, they're pounding on the door. And, you know, my friend is not Asian and, he, you know, he speaks English, so it's not him. Um, and I don't even know if I'm in the building that he lives in. I don't know where the hell I am. I'm like pulling a Robert Downey Jr. Like I woke up in someone else's home. And um, I see that there's, I look down at the water and the water is really just red. I mean, it's, it's really like a mixture of blood and, and warm, luke, you know, lukewarm water. And uh, I feel terrible. I mean, something's not right and I can't really put my finger on it, but, uh, you know, I'm naked in someone else's bathtub and the bathtub's full of blood and I have old elderly Asian people screaming at me in a, in a different language. And, um, it's, you know, it's not an ideal place to wake up after blacking out. And Jared's surrounded by blood. The blood is very alarming. I mean, this blood, I hope it came from me, you know, uh, that's best case scenario. And uh, it turns out I was right. It, it did come from me, but I didn't really know where. So I lift up out of the bathtub. I'm naked. I'm covered in, you know, I'm now I'm covered in blood. And I'm saying, you know, one second, I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Don't worry. And they're like yelling kind of in broken English, like we're going to call the police. What's going on in there? Why is our own fucking door locked? Uh, so I get up and I take a peek in the mirror. I see myself in the mirror and I'm missing like a pretty significant portion of my face and um and i know that's like a really big statement but uh it's true i mean i was missing probably like three square inches of my face and it was right below my mouth it was my lip it was my bottom it was the entirety of my bottom lip all the way down to where the lip meets the chin so um this was not good this is not good from like a physical health standpoint, but just imagine a mental health standpoint. It's like, I'm missing part of my face. I'm all alone. The only culprit is me. You know, I removed, I must have done this to myself. I don't see someone attacking me and just surgically removing a portion of my face. And when I got up closer to the mirror and I saw the teeth marks in my own face, I realized I had eaten my own face. So Jared showed me a picture of him after the incident, and he's literally missing the lower half of his face. It's incredible. This was like new world order in my head. It was like, you know, everything is different from this day forth. Um, well, not only that, this is the last day forth. I mean, it's countdown to me killing myself because I just ate my face. That's not a good feeling, you know? And not to mention, you know, a big portion of my face is missing, but also it's incredibly engorged with inflammation, and I'm like, you know, I look like a, a, a wild animal that just got torn to pieces by like a leopard or something. You know, I, I look torn up. Really not an understatement. And engorged, and I look like I've been a dead, you know, carcass laying out in the sun. I'm, my face is like a different shape. And um, my clothes are entirely covered in blood. So it's like I, I have a wife beater, fortunately, so I wrap the wife beater around my face. Because I don't really want to come out of these people's bathroom, you know, clearly, you know, having just eaten myself in their on their property. But Jared has a plan on getting out. Uh, but then I figured, you know, that actually might be a good strategy because they're like, oh, someone broke into our house. But if I come out and it's like, I literally ate myself in your bathroom, so don't fuck with me. Let me just leave your house. Uh, I figured that was a good strategy. So I actually opened up the door. They flipped the fuck out. 
but they backed up and um, I exited the building. It was actually, it turned out to be kind of a boarding house. It was probably a human trafficking situation, something like that. And Jared hits the streets. I figured they're probably going to call the police, so I should probably get the hell out of there. I've lost so much blood that I'm not even, it's not that I'm high or sober. It's like I've lost so much blood that I'm really dying. I'm like literally in the process of dying and, and um, you don't have your wits about you, you know, when you've lost that much blood. So um, I reach into my pockets. I have my phone. I have about $40 in cash on me. And I figure, well, I have no tolerance. You know, I just relapsed, so I have no heroin tolerance. I'm in Chinatown. I'm close enough to Skid Row. I'm going to march down to Skid Row. I'm going to buy $40 worth of heroin that's like half a gram or something. And if I shoot half a gram, right now I'll die. I'll definitely overdose. So that's my plan. It's it's going to work out, you know? So I, I start marching and uh, I kind of have my phone. The battery's, you know, pretty low, but I make a phone call. I call my friend that invited me out to California that I was living at her apartment. And uh, I don't really remember these conversations too well, but she's later told me about them. And I kind of tell her what happened and she's like, I don't understand. And, and I can't even really talk. I mean, I literally am missing part of my face. So I can't really pronounce consonants um, because I can't put my lips together because I literally only have one lip. So uh, it's kind of hard for me to communicate, but I kind of, you know, I get across to her, like, listen, I ate myself. I ate part of my face. I don't know what the fuck happened. Jared has no memory of how the call ended. I guess I just, you know, hung up on her. This is kind of an unbelievable thing that happened to me because uh, I'm not known for this kind of thing. You know, no one is, but um, it's not like I have a pattern of like, self-mutilation or I like to cut myself or, you know, I'm, I'm pretty normal. You know, when, when I'm not on drugs, I'm pretty much just a normal guy. And the wild thing is I don't even remember doing it. You know, I really just don't remember doing it. Uh, so this was all within my subconscious. I, I did something so horrible to myself and so painful. I mean, I, I can't believe that I basically stayed blacked out through such horrible pain. As I'm out in the sunlight, I look down at my arm. I have a tattoo on my arm. Uh, I don't remember getting it. I don't really know where I got it, but I figure my friend that I was getting high with had a tattoo gun. I figure that he gave it to me. That's pretty, you know, easy, de easy detective work. Um, my tattoo is three Hebrew letters. I don't know why. I don't know why I asked for these letters, but that's the way the cookie crumbled. I, that's what I asked for in my blackout doesn't matter gonna go kill myself doesn't who cares what tattoo i got um so i start marching down to skid row you know i'm a sight for sore eyes uh or i'm not a sight for sore eyes i, I uh i'm covered in blood and i have a black wife beater soaked in blood wrapped around my face and i, I look like a i look like someone that just died in, in fallujah like I, it's not good I look like a zombie, really. I mean, that, that's what it is. And, and But as you make your way down to Skid Row, people slowly start kind of looking like you. So it's all good. You know, by the time I get to Skid Row, it's like, I'm not even the craziest guy on the block, you know? I get down to like the corner where, you know, I buy my heroin and I'm trying to buy heroin and I got these two $20 bills and they're covered in blood and like no one will take my money because it's covered in blood you know and they're like hey you gotta go go to the hospital or something man you can't just be doing drugs right now like you're dripping blood <laughs> you know and um you know that's how bad that's that's what shape I was in that these like homeless drug dealers were like trying to direct me to the hospital instead of selling me drugs but 
fortunately i found a guy that that was willing to sink that low and and did take my 20 my blood covered 20 dollar bills and he sold me some heroin and um i bought a needle you know with with the purchase and uh got my little stuff together and went to the uh, Mexican flea market on 5th and Maple because I knew that they had a public restroom there. Okay, so, so I got into the Mexican flea market bathroom and I think everything's cool. You know, I'm in the bathroom and I have my stuff and I prepare my heroin shot and I sort of just say goodbye to life. And I'm pretty woozy and I don't really know what's going on and, and I'm just really weak and, and I say, you know, my little kind of agnostic prayer and um and i and i do the shot and and um and i died i mean i overdosed in the bathroom and um you know i don't know how many minutes later but the paramedics came and this this is because obviously a lot of witnesses saw a, a zombie walk into the bathroom and i left a trail of blood going to the bathroom and the stall which was good because um people immediately said hey there's a trail of blood going to the bathroom let's call the police and uh and they came and they narcan me narcan's a drug that emts and doctors use to reverse an opiate overdose so it just knocks out all the opiates from your system and actually sends you into a really terrible withdrawal but you're alive they brought me back to life uh they were pretty surprised i mean i remember coming out of the narc you know once they narcan me i came out of well, what was death i guess and um they were, you know, pretty uh, astonished at what they saw, uh, you know, given my face and everything. So uh, they took me to the hospital and um, and I was angry. You know, I was really angry that they brought me back to life because I kind of was hoping this was all a dream and, and everything and, and, and had kind of succeeded in, in um, the killing of myself. And, and they, they kind of ruined that. And, and of course, I'm grateful for that today. But in the moment, I was extremely angry. Jared arrives at the hospital. They hook me up. I have, uh, my kidneys are on the verge of fa failing. I've like lost a ton of blood. They hook me up to all this machinery and, and um, you know, they bring me back to life essentially. And um, and kind of miraculously, my friend that I had called and told this about started calling hospitals and um, was able to locate me and actually came to the hospital that I was at and found me and um and it, it, it was great you know that, that that she was there you know the odd part is that i could have done this in any part of america but i did it in downtown los angeles and wound up at usc medical center uh, of all hospitals and this hospital is very special because they actually have a sort of a plastic surgery school i would call it maybe like a program where that's actually where a lot of plastic surgeons go to kind of get their training and there's it's one of three hospitals in america that they do this at and um after me spending you know about two weeks in the hospital they and i'm like my whole plan the whole two weeks is like say whatever you need to do to get out of here so you can kill yourself because you are not going through life you know missing part of your face and it's not only that i was missing part of my face it was the way that i lost my face you know it wasn't an honorable way to lose your face it was literally a split second decision to get high and next thing you know you did this to yourself it's not like you know i was a, I, I was a veteran of war or something like that it, it, there was no honor to what i did and i couldn't live with myself after after what, what i'd done and, and i figured okay i'm going to be highly disfigured for the rest of my life 
At this moment of total desperation, a plastic surgeon walks by. They said, hey, if you want, we'll take you into this program. It's, it could take up to a year, like getting multiple surgeries, but we have sort of a plastic surgeon training ground at this hospital, and we've sent them the pictures of your face, and, and they said they'd accept you into the program, and it would be free of charge. They would basically practice plastic surgery on you and rebuild your face. Although he was grateful, he had his reservations. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to just exit and, and kill myself. But but my friend, the friend that called Jared before, said, you know, suggested that I do accept this. And it happened. And and, and this person, you know, sacrificed seven months of her life and took care of me and um, put up with my brattiness and put up with uh, several suicide attempts that wound me up into mental institutions. And just, I mean, I put this person through hell. She took me to all my appointments and uh, and made it happen. And I, I, I got my first surgery maybe four months later, and it looked terrible. This type of surgery had never been done before. They had no one had ever done this before. No one had ever eaten their own face. So the doctors weren't sure what to do. And they were actually doing video conferences with the other plastic, the two other plastic surgery programs in America. They were putting in like work to figure out how to fix my face. The surgeons were descending into unknown territories because there was no playbook for this. Turns out the mouth is actually one of the hardest things to rebuild. It has motion to it. It's not a stationary body part, so it's a part of your body that, you know, it gets looked at. You know, when you look at someone in the eyes, you're in your peripheral right below is, is someone's mouth. But it needed some work. It required some beautification if they were to pull off a good job and they were and they wanted to do a good job. So the surgeries began. About year, year and a half, I got three surgeries. And it took maybe six, six months, six to 12 months to fully heal after that. But, you know, they did a pretty good job. And I'm very grateful. I mean, I'm immensely grateful to the people that supported me, especially my specific friend. I keep her anonymous. I don't want to, you know, put her name out there. But um, she saved my life. And I would 100% be dead if it wasn't for her. And I would 100% be dead if it wasn't for the plastic surgeons and all the staff at USC Medical Center. But he definitely thought he didn't deserve the surgeries. Why would I deserve this? I mean, I was literally a crackhead on the street and I ate my own face after get, doing too much drugs and they did millions of dollars worth of work on my on me. And listen, I, I've not been the greatest citizen. I mean, as um, I've stated in the previous interviews, you know, I was a I was a cretin. I was a real, you know, I was a cost on society. And um, and this surgery kind of changed my life and turned everything around. And, and now I've been sober for several years and um, have a normal life. And, and, I, and I hope, you know, I'm writing a book about this whole experience, about this rebirth that I've gone through since I got this. I was blessed with this surgery. I mean, it was really, it's a gift. And I hope I can reach someone because, you know, we've all done really stupid shit. Jared had a message for those listeners struggling with addiction. If you know, if you're on drugs, you've done some stupid shit. Uh, you might have done shit that's worse than what I just described, or you might have done shit that was not as worse. You can turn it around. If, if I was able to turn this around, I think a lot of people are capable of doing this. And listen, I'll say it now, like, you know, this was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life, but it's become the best thing that ever happened to me because it really saved my life. It was such a horrific experience and such a cacophony of voices in my head 24-7, kill yourself, kill yourself, look what you did to yourself, you ate yourself, you're the only person that's ever done this, you're the, you're the worst person in human existence. Who would do this? It was a, such a immense journey to get through this hellish experience and 
come out the other side and be grateful for a chance to live. And I'll tell you, like, the coolest part of the story is, is that I got that tattoo. That's the tattoo Jared got during the blackout and has no recollection of getting. And through the process of getting sober, I reconnected with some of my family after years of not seeing them. And, and when I went over for dinner one time, you know, my tattoo was out and my little cousin said, hey, you have a Hebrew tattoo on your arm. And I said, yeah, I, I don't really know what it says. I didn't want to get into details. He was, a, you know, he's like 12. I don't want to get into details about, you know, how I got this tattoo. But I said, I don't know what it says. It's a long story, but do you know what it says? And he says, yeah, it says home in Hebrew. And I said, okay, home. I wonder what that means. And he says, yeah, it's pronounced bite in Hebrew. So it says bite. My whole reality shattered. I mean, listen, that's a crazy coincidence. I don't know why the hell I would, in a blackout, ask my friend to give me a tattoo of home in Hebrew. I don't even speak Hebrew or read Hebrew. So this means I would have had to go on my phone and look up, how do you say home in Hebrew? Uh, but the miraculous part is that it's pronounced bite. And what did I do a few hours later was bite my own face off. I'm not saying that it didn't give, it's not like I'm a born again Christian or anything. I'm not, I don't consider myself a religious person, but um, it definitely woke me up to more ab an abstract way of viewing life. Um, craziest moment of my life was when he said bite. And it's at this point that we conclude the three-part Jared Clickstein saga. And if you want to hear more about his story, he's actually writing a book now, so keep your ear to the ground. Yeah, I just want to thank everyone once again. Thank you for this experience, because I probably wouldn't have been able to get sober unless I ate my face. And that's it. been listening to highly unlikely i am jonathan flannis and stay tuned for our next episode i'll see you then